welcome to Lifeside Beat. I'm your host, Jacqueline Cowis. Today on this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Harris, co-founder and CEO of MedRhythms. MedRhythms, named CB Insights as one of the top 150 most innovative digital health companies in 2021, is pioneering the next generation digital therapeutics to improve walking using music, neuroscience, software, and sensor technology. Brian is a board-certified music therapist and one of 350 Neurologic Music Therapist Fellows in the world. Brian's clinical work is focused at Spalding Rehab Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, where he created and implemented their first inpatient full-time neurologic music therapy program. He has been named MedTech's Boston 40 Under 40 Healthcare Innovators and Top 100 Innovation CEOs by World Biz Magazine. We had an enlightening conversation. Please join me in welcoming Brian Harris to LifeSide Beat. Brian, welcome to LifeSide Beat. Thanks, Jacqueline. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. I want to kick off with the icebreaker, as we usually do in LifeSide Beat. It seems as if music was essential to the creation of med rhythms and also seems to be very important in your upbringing. If you could describe your personality or life in a song, what would that be? I'm putting wow. you on the spot here. <laughs> that's 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 quite a question. Um, I mean, as I as I would think about answering that question, I mean, I, my personality I think is like pretty high energy. I'm pretty outgoing. I am always trying to I think like move forward, make things better. The thing that keeps coming to my mind that's also relevant to uh, our products, which is using music to improve walking, would be something along the lines of like a a walk this way by Aerosmith, right? You got some good energy, you know, it's a good groove. It's about walking. I mean, it it fits well, I think. Okay, I don't know if I know that song. Walk This Way by Aerosmith. It's a bang. (laughs) Great. Well, thanks for indulging me in that question. But I want to get started in learning more about your career so MedRhythms is a digital therapeutics company or like software as a medical device. The company is centered around using music to treat patients who had stroke or brain injury to improve their walking. Were you always interested in music? Did you play instrument growing up? Did your parents play instrument? Yeah, I was heavily involved with music growing up. Um, I loved performing and playing. At first, I was a, a originally trained as a, a violist. So it's kind of like a violin, except bigger, but you play it like a violin. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of those that may not know what a viola is, many people may. Um, but then later on in life, I became trained as a, as a drummer. So I played drum kit and, you know, jazz bands and pep bands and lots of different types of bands. And I knew that music was going to be an important part of my life and a part of my career. But early on, I didn't know exactly what that meant because I did know that music education was not for me, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. But the idea early on of using music to help people was something that was very compelling. So in college, did you major in music? I majored in, in psychology. Uh, my undergrad was at the University of Maine and I majored in psychology. I minored in music and then was able to take this it was just an online course at the time in music therapy. So the University of Maine had a single course on the field of music therapy. And, you know, the idea of putting these two fields together using music to help people seemed like a no-brainer to me. And then when I uh, took it, I fell in love with the content. And it was actually the, the professor of that course who was this private practicing music therapist that 
allowed me to intern with him for a summer. That changed my life. Well, let's go deeper into this internship. How did working with him that summer change your life? I had an opportunity when I was in college to intern with a private practicing music therapist. And I'm from the state of Maine. Um, and at the time, this was the only private practicing music therapist in the state of Maine. And he was working with children and adults that were severely, both physically and cognitively impaired. And the very first session that I ever witnessed of live music therapy was with about an 18 year old boy who was physically and cognitively functioning at about a one year old level. Wow. And this music therapist that I was working with did not have training in the neuroscience of music. And he was really focused more on quality of life, emotional regulation and these types of outcomes. But when he started doing music, live music with this boy, this boy began to physically and cognitively function at a higher level than what anybody in his life had ever seen before. So in terms of his eyes opening and interacting with his environment to the point that the people that worked with him every single day and his family were in the room witnessing this. And they were literally in tears because they couldn't believe how this boy was responding to music. And it was at that point that I realized that A, that this was my calling in life, that I needed to be using music in this way to help people. But while this was a really a beautiful thing to witness, to be in the room, to watch this impact happen, I knew that there must be a reason why his brain allowed him to respond that way to music. Mm -hmm. And if we could answer that question, then that's when we could truly harness the power of music and replicate it to help a lot of people. And so my draw to this work has always been answering that question of how can people have these outcomes in response to music? And then B, how do we bring it to everybody that needs it? And that's what really uh, led to the, the initial roads to becoming a music therapist, focusing on the neuroscience of music, and then wanting to understand how we could scale this to people around the world. Wow, what an incredible story. It seems like the internship had a big impact on your life. Did you work there after college? Or did you try something new within the music therapy space? Uh, after I graduated from undergrad, um, I went to school just outside of Boston to get my master's degree in music therapy, which is really where I uh, also hyper-focused on learning the neuroscience of music and, and specifically how that can be clinically applied. I became a board-certified music therapist, which is actually much like speech therapy or occupational therapy or physical therapy, except our mode is uh, music by which we, we help people recover. And my first job was at Spalding Rehab Hospital in Boston, where, um, which is the Harvard Medical School affiliate for rehabs. They did not have a music therapist prior to me to coming on. So I had the really the honor of, of building their first music therapy program, treating patients on their neuro units. So primarily with stroke and brain injuries. And I was helping them recover things like movement and uh, language and cognition, all based upon these objective neuroscience principles of how music can objectively impact the brain and improve outcomes. Where we were seeing really great outcomes was in uh, using music to improve walking, specifically how rhythm can, can be used to improve the way that somebody walks following a stroke or brain injury. And quickly after I started the program, I mean, we were really seeing great outcomes. People were getting better faster with greater results. And we now had the neuroscience to not only explain how this was possible, but also how we could standardize and replicate those results. And, you know, really quickly after I started that program, the demand for my services, both from physicians who are writing orders for me to see their patients within the hospital, but also from patients and their family members who were saying, you know, Brian, you helped my dad walk again. How do I get more of this when I leave the hospital? And at the time, you know, the answer really was, 
there's nothing you can do. Hmm. And that was an awful conversation as a clinician to have with patients and their family members on a regular basis. Because you were the only one doing this in the hospital. It wasn't as if there was a large group of people that could provide this music therapy, right? Yeah, so music therapy as a profession is a very, very small profession. And then the specialization that I was trained in, which is called neurologic music therapy, which is really focused on the neuroscience of music, is even smaller than that. There's about 3,000 people in the world that have been trained to do this work. And mm -hmm. so outside of the hospital, there were very limited options. You know, there, are, there were some folks around, but very limited options. Um, and it was really based upon those results that we were seeing and the demand that we were seeing that we started MedRhythms around that mission of how do we bring this important care to people around the world that we believe need it and based upon the results that we were saying really deserve to have access to it. Were there certain types of patients that were really benefiting from this type of therapy? I know you mentioned stroke or those that had brain injury, but what was the patient demographic that was really responding to this? You know, the remarkable thing is that it was really broad across the spectrum. So the, the, the results that we were seeing and, and the inter interventions that we we're doing as clinicians is based upon objective neuroscience research and what's called human music perception and production. So objectively, how does the human brain perceive music and then respond to it, essentially? And what the research shows is that 97% of the human population, regardless of age, culture, ability, disability, interest in music, respond the same to music. And so because we're leveraging this very sort of deep neural connection between music and the human brain, we were seeing outcomes across a broad uh, functioning levels. I was treating patients that were literally taking their first steps for the first time doing these interventions, all the way through people who had sort of mild balance issues due to their traumatic brain injuries. And so I would say there wasn't a a typical uh, presentation that worked best or responded better, we were really seeing it across the board. Yeah, I mean, I believe that music brings people together, regardless of how you're feeling, you know, your background, where you came from, your interests. It's kind of a common thread for humanity. And so to be able to take that and to treat actual disease is so fascinating. So now that you figured out, okay, music has a way to improve people's walking, what drew you to create MedRhythms and how did you go from that zero to one to create the business, create the technology? My uh, sort of draw to uh, building MedRhythms really didn't have to do with technology uh, per se. It was really around the power of music to change people's lives. What's the first thing that you did to start this company? Yeah, and it's an interesting journey at the beginning because the first thing that we did at MedRhythms, we, we actually started a therapy practice. So we started hiring other music therapists that were trained in neurologic music therapy, so in the neuroscience of music. Um, and we started treating patients at other hospitals, uh, in their homes, um, in long-term care facilities, and we're, we're really making an impact. And we were seeing that uh, you know people were getting better across the board. Um, but then the challenge became there just simply aren't enough music therapists uh, around the world to, 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 to do this work. I mean, there weren't enough music therapists in the hospital, in fact, mm -hmm. to do this work. And so then it became, well, how do we scale? Because my draw to this work and my sort of mission in my career is answering the question of how do we bring this to more people, right? So the answer to how you bring this to more people is technology. And so we really had to have a shift in our the way we thought about the care to think about, well, can this intervention be delivered via 
technology? Can it be delivered autonomously to somebody without the need of a clinician present? And uh, we did some early testing and we, you know, we were very fortunate to, to connect with folks that had backgrounds in engineering that really showed us that, yes, this could be possible um, if we really put some weight behind it. And did you have a co-founder for this or who did you work with to get this going? And you mentioned you work with clinicians, but beyond that, to get it to actual scale and get it out to the market and commercialize it, who else did you work with? Yeah, um, I had a co-founder from the very beginning, um, still have a co-founder, in fact. Um, his name is Owen McCarthy, and he has a background in bioengineering um, and uh, had gotten his MBA from, from, from Harvard and really helped to guide in early days and really think strategically about, you know, how you build this into, you know, we had a, what we felt to be a solution, but how do you bring that solution to a, a company and really build it into um, something that can be scalable? Was there anything in your entrepreneurial journey that was the most challenging or biggest learning experience for you? Oh, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, number one, you know, thinking about shifting a, a business model away from a, you know, sort of fee-for-service uh, clinical setting with clinicians to building a product requires a different structure of organization, but also thinking about how do you replicate a clinician's input, you know, uh, how a clinician responds to a patient with technology. And so there was a lot of early testing that, uh, that was challenging to figure out how to essentially make my brain or my clinical thinking into algorithms that could respond to patients. And then also thinking about, well, how do you take that and turn that into a product, sort of a mm -hmm. full product that can be used? So it was, a, I mean, it was a fun journey, but yeah, the lots of, lots of early challenges there. And did you use the patients that you work with at the hospital as some of your early testers for the beta or the prototype? We were very fortunate. And I was actually one of the things that I'm most proud of, um, as the CEO of MedRhythms is how much we've always kept patients at the center of all that we do. Mm -hmm. And really since the beginning of MedRhythms and early product testing when, you know, product was uh, not anything the way that it is today um, and really difficult to use and really not a great experience, but we, we needed to test certain assumptions that we always had uh, former patients and, and people that we were working with who came out of the woodworks and wanted to be involved. Um, and we would do robust testing with hundreds of, of different sessions and doing these uh, testing with end users, whether they were stroke survivors or people living with MS or people living with PD. Um, and it's something that has continued to today. We now have a patient advisory board that, that helps us think strategically. And we continue to do product testing today with those end users. And the model has not changed um, since the beginning. And it's, it's very exciting. Having patients at the center of any healthcare business is critical. Honestly, it's great that you also had so many patients as part of your network to be able to leverage that for your for building your product, for your minimal viable product. This was your first time being an entrepreneur, right? Your first start at it? That's correct, yep. Anything that you wish you knew or could have applied years ago as you kind of started this journey for the first time? I mean, I think there's always specific tactical things that you would you know, if you, if I knew now the journey that we had been on to date, yeah, would have made some different decisions and things. I mean, we didn't certainly haven't done everything right. And we continue, you know, won't do everything right. But one thing that I did know, uh, and I think that that helped the journey along the way to date is that I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew building a business in healthcare is hard. 
and you know that's something you have to accept as a founder that there's a lot of uh, uh, the ecosystem of healthcare from you know regulatory reimbursement, clinical patients, doctors, et cetera. It's it's hard to build a business in healthcare, and I knew that, and I also knew uh, that there would be nobody on earth, and I believe that to my core, that is more passionate about bringing this to patients that need it than me, and also who would be willing to work harder to do it. And so I think that pairing that with an acceptance at the beginning that this is going to be hard really helped to get over those challenges to say that, yeah, would I have made different choices? Certainly. But is it different than what I expected it to be? No. I mean, we're, we're, on, we're on course and we're, we're, we're getting there. Yeah, it's all about that journey and having that drive and the passion, which it seems like you have to be able to get over all those challenges is, is necessary to be able to build a business in healthcare for sure. And patients need it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, this is all about patient impact. We're building an organization that will, is trying to impact patients. And those are the, the avenues that you have to go through and the mountains that you have to climb, climb to get there. Mm-hmm. So let's dive deeper into the technology and user experience. I'm particularly interested and honestly fascinated by how this all works, about how music can be a therapy for those that have neurological conditions. What is that combination of neurology, music, walking? How does that all blend together to be a treatment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and really, it's, it's interesting because it's based upon uh, sort of five decades of research around a process that's called auditory motor entrainment. And that's what we call our mechanism of action. And what auditory motor entrainment is, basically as a human being, when we listen to music that's in our environment and we hear um, like a rhythm in music that repeats, it activates our auditory system because it's an auditory input. But the auditory system and the motor system are actually subconsciously connected via what's called the reticulospinal tract, such that we can use an external auditory cue to engage the motor system. And so what happens is the auditory and motor system begin to fire in synchrony with that external auditory cue. And that's what we call auditory motor entrainment. Now that MOA or the mechanism of action is applicable to those who are neurologically healthy. So you, you or I, and the way that I always try to explain this is I have a demonstration that I do when I give live uh, presentations about music and neuroscience. But essentially, if you were to take a metronome and you were to, uh, or find a song, that's at about 105 beats per minute. And you try to walk around your house and you walk to 105 beats per minute. And then you try to not walk at that tempo. So try to not walk to the beat of the music. It's almost impossible for a human to not walk to the steady rhythm that they hear in their environment because the rhythm is literally activating their motor system, telling it when to fire and to fire in synchrony with that external rhythm. So if we translate that into those who have damage to the motor system, stroke, MS, PD, et cetera, we can use an external auditory cue to engage the motor system to help where it was damaged to fire more appropriately. It's been shown that engaging in these music interventions also aids in the process of neuroplasticity. So we're actually making new neural connections by engaging the motor system with music. There's an actual clinical intervention that uh, auditory motor entrainment is the foundation of. It's called rhythmic auditory stimulation. And essentially, it's the standardized application of auditory motor entrainment to improve walking outcomes. And so essentially, uh, what we need is music that has consistent rhythm, 
that has a consistent tempo, that that is at certain uh, time signatures, that also has certain beat salience to it. So how well defined the beats are. Those are the objective parameters that we need to use. But then the research shows that your brain also functionally responds better to emotionally salient information. So your brain responds better to music that you like or music that you're familiar with. So if we can take the objective parameters of music, the, the rhythm, tempo, et cetera, and then match that with familiar music or music that people prefer, that's a best case clinical uh, experience or clinical outcomes that we could ask for is when you marry those two things together. So you're saying Justin Bieber, Dua Lipa, Eminem, they can all improve people's walking? Absolutely. Um, and so that's why we're really excited about the partnership that we did uh, recently with Universal Music Group. And Universal Music Group is the world's largest uh, record label. They own nearly 50% of the world's music. And by virtue of the partnership, we can utilize their catalog of music and then uh, bring it in and, and mix it into our uh, product through our algorithms, a way that we do to make essentially any song therapeutically valuable. So yes, we can use Justin Bieber or Stevie Wonder uh, really across the gamut. And what our, our products do is it's essentially a real-time algorithm that takes data in based upon how somebody's walking and then mixes the music, as I said, rhythmically, sort of with tempo changes and such to push a patient to walk better with higher quality. And we're constantly detecting that as the patient's walking. And so to the patient, they're walking to their favorite music. That's what the experience is. And to us, there's a very complex and robust engine in the background that's detecting what they're doing and then delivering the music to them in a customized way. Have you found or done any research studies to figure out what type of music does the best? For example, like what artist or genre or style of music has the biggest impact for patients? Well, I will say we certainly know that there's certain genres of music that naturally possess groove, right? That naturally possess certain elements. And when we talk about groove, you can think about that as um, songs that make you want to move, right? And I think for most people, you think about people like Stevie Wonder, right? I mean, when you listen to a Stevie Wonder song, most people, it makes you want to move your body in some way, right? But what the research shows is that it's actually not about genre. It's not about any of that. It's really about preference, the best music to use for somebody to improve their walking, as long as it uh, contains the objective parameters of uh, consistent rhythm, tempo, beat salience, is really music that the patients like. So for the user experience, there's a sensor where you put it on the patient's shoe and that measures how they're walking. Then so they well, open an app and they connect to the headphones, it plays the music and it continues to update as they walk or how, what is that experience like for the patient? And do they do that a few times a week or how often is the treatment? Yes, yeah, so it's uh, the product itself has um, sensors that connect to the shoe. So there's one sensor that goes onto each shoe and we're collecting clinical grade biomechanics in real time. So we get very high fidelity data about how somebody's walking from foot angles to speed of walking to how fast their steps are to their symmetry and variability and lots of data there. That feeds into the algorithm, uh, which is based upon a mobile device. So an app on a mobile device. And then the music is delivered via headphones. 
everything is Bluetooth connected. So it's Bluetooth sensors to mobile device, Bluetooth headphones to mobile device. And so essentially as the patient's walking, we're asking them to do 30 minute sessions. Specifically, as we think about the stroke, uh, our, our first product is in chronic stroke for which we have breakthrough designation by, by FDA. The chronic stroke product is 30 minute sessions that's recommended to be about three times per week. So they, they put it on as they walk, uh, they're listening, as I said, the, the user experience is quite simple in the sense that they're listening to music that uh, they enjoy and the music is changing based upon how they're walking um, and it's pushing them to walk with faster with, with higher quality. Um, and then they're doing that three times per week for a period of time. Um, so it's, it's pretty easy to use in that way. Yeah, definitely. Listening to music three times a week is not a bad option for a medical treatment for patients. So you had this idea of digital therapeutics or SAMD, software as a medical device. It's a newer space, a newer phenomenon, essentially using software or AI, virtual reality, augmented reality to treat diseases, to treat patients. And digital therapeutics is pioneering its way within healthcare and positioning itself to be kind of the new wave of therapy. You see it being used for chronic pain, mental health, anxiety, smoking sensation, a lot of different conditions. What are your thoughts on how this differs from a regulatory standpoint than a traditional implantable med device or pharma? What are some of the advantages and what are some of the disadvantages in terms of the regulatory pathway? That's a good question. And I think that, you know, we're starting to see currently in the, in the industry some successes through FDA. You know, if you look at folks at Paratherapeutics and uh, Achille who have gotten some, you know, some important FDA approvals. And I think uh, product matters, right? Indication matters. And so there's not, I don't think there's a broad uh, sort of blanket answer to that in the sense that who, who you're treating, where you're treating them and how you're treating them. And what I mean by that is what is the patient segment that you're, that you're uh, addressing um, what does the product do? What does the product look like? And are you treating them in the clinic? Are you treating them at home? What is that? All, all matters from you know a regulatory perspective. But I think in general, as you even think about digital therapeutics as it relates to to other therapeutics, be it pharma, you know the the risk profile, safety profile is much different, right? Mm-hmm. The, there certainly are risks associated with 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 digital therapeutics, but safety and um, the safety to efficacy ratio is likely drastically different, which changes about how people may think about it getting through the regulatory process. Um, so, you know, I would say that not all uh, digital therapeutics are treated the same. You know, there's not a, a, a simple uh, and discrete pathway, but certainly FDA has been progressive in thinking about how they're thinking about these new products and bringing them to market. Yeah, we love to see a more progressive FDA, especially as we're coming up with new ways to actually treat patients. I imagine that the actual clinical trial process is a lot quicker. You would think it'd be easier to convince someone to do a treatment as like music as opposed to taking medication, you know, doing an implant or surgery. Do you agree with that? Or do you think it's a lot quicker to enroll and have patients go through a clinical trial? Well, I, I think it also, I mean, that's a question around even trial design and how you think about uh, delivering the intervention, whether it's in clinic or whether it's in home. I mean, I think to, as I mentioned before, the, the risk profile is different. So I think people's engagement or wanting to be engaged is much uh, different in digital therapeutics, which can help with at least timeline on 
on clinical trial, certainly. Even making the recruiting process so much quicker, you can save a lot of time there and actually, like, let alone the clinical trial design, but the actual enrollment part, that is, is crucial and takes a lot of time to get patients involved. And so if you can make that shorter, you can save a lot of time and get the therapies to market sooner. Taking a step back at the larger business, I know that MedRhythms raised a Series B last year of $25 million. One of the investors, I believe, was Bose Ventures, the VC arm of Bose, the headphone or musical technology company. Very interesting to see that type of company involved in healthcare. Can you comment on that relationship as well as your recent partnership with Universal Music Group? And what's the long-term strategy with that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, we raised $25 million. It was led by Morningside Ventures and Advantage Capital, but they, Bose was an important part. Um, outside of, of that, when we think about having folks like Bose involved in our partnership with, with Universal Music Group, you know, as we think about success and we think about scale and success globally and, and making the impact that we have the vision for, it does, success doesn't happen in silos. And that means that we're going to need uh, partnerships both with folks in our industry, folks in healthcare, but we're also going to need folks outside of our industry as well. And I think that, you know, the, the partnership specifically with, with Universal Music Group is a, a perfect example of this sort of healthcare consumer industry collaboration that can really make a big impact. And it's sort of a fundamental belief that those, from our perspective, that those have to happen to raise, you know, the, 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 the industry and ultimately the impact to, to our patients. Really interesting partnership helps to build the therapy, build up the customer base, and actually have music that people actually like. So when you think about the company over the next couple of years or near horizon, what are some of the milestones that you're hoping to hit? It's an exciting time, um, you know, having to just raise Series B and then looking into the to future in our, in our growing team now. You know, we're looking to uh, bring our first uh, product to market in chronic stroke, um, which is really exciting. And really, I think expanding our, uh, our pipeline into other clinical trials. We have a few other um, uh, clinical trials ongoing right now in MS and Parkinson's disease and functional neurologic disorder. And, you know, really optimistic about what that could mean for the future people that we could impact in those disease states as well. Um, you know, we're really hyper-focused right now on, on building out that evidence across our pipeline. And as I said, bringing that, that first product to market. Well, look out for the headline, hopefully stating that MedRhythms got FDA approval. It's a very exciting time for the company, and I'm excited to see where it goes. So listening in, we have those that are interested in starting digital therapeutics companies, working in the space, people in industry, biotech, medtech, VC. Do you have any advice for those that are looking to start a company in the space or work in digital therapeutics? Yeah, uh, uh, keep doing it. Keep going. I mean, the, the, the exciting thing about digital therapeutics is there's so much value that this industry can provide to patients. There are so many needs across populations and across the board that uniquely digital therapeutics can solve, that drugs can't solve, that medical devices can't solve, that uniquely digital therapeutics can solve. What we need is we need more people to be building companies here to raise the industry as a whole. And I think that even as you look broader, uh, broader than that, as we think about the, the frontiers that we're going through as an, as an industry, 
we've we've seen some precedent for uh, clinical trials and evidence generation. We've seen some precedent for um, uh, FDA regulation and some success there. And now we're really sort of thinking about these early uh, companies that are now becoming commercial stage or organizations and seeing some early success there. And that's really the next frontier is bringing these products to market. And that's really exciting. But the more companies we have doing this, the more it raises all ships, you know, the tide that raises all ships, so to speak. And so we need more folks to be creative to thinking about what those unmet needs are. And I also will say, you know, in a very tactical way, digital therapeutics is a very small uh, family, so to speak. It's a small industry that we're always willing to help. And so I also say, you know, reach out to folks that are in the industry, whether they are investors or whether they're companies um, that are doing it because we're always happy to give feedback to other companies um, that are trying to innovate here because there's a lot of need out there. Yes, definitely. Well, I'll end here with my last question. Is there anything in digital therapeutics that really excites you and any area beyond neurology that really needs this type of innovation? Well, I get really excited I'm going to come back to saying, uh, you know, you mentioned other than neurology, but I really get excited about neurology specifically and not even just exactly what we're doing and sort of, you know, improving walking in these types of things, but our brains are inherently sensory organs. So they are shaped by what we experience. Those types of deficits or those types of diagnoses are primed for a digital therapeutic that may work by virtue of providing visual or auditory input. And I think that that's where digital therapeutics can really shine is in neurologic diseases and, and, and brain injuries because we're shaping neural circuitry. And I say we as a, as a company that is using music, but it, lots of these, what we call next generation therapeutics, which are really you know, thinking beyond um, you know, where the industry has been, but utilizing sensory input across the board is really, I think, a next, an exciting next frontier for the world of neurology because our brains are primed for it. And I think that digital therapeutics are, would not just be replicating what uh, clinicians do in the clinic, but are actually doing things that clinicians can't do, which is a really exciting uh, avenue here. Yeah, taking it to the next level. Well, I want to end here and thank you, Brian Harris, for joining us on LifeSide Beat. It's been such a fascinating conversation. I enjoyed learning about your journey and creating metarhythms and seeing how music can improve people's lives. I appreciate you doing it. I mean, I appreciate you even talking about the, the subjects. It's important for, for more people to hear.